Welcome to episode 22 of the Comedy Defect Podcast. My name's Winter Fonander, I'm a comedian and the host of the show. This is episode 22 with Yanni Agisolo. I nailed it. I was emceeing the other night and I absolutely butchered Yanni's name. But Yanni was closing that gig and it was great to watch him. I saw him a couple of years ago and he was great then and he's an absolute monster now. He delivers his stuff with joy, with improv and it's just great. He just unpacks the subject and he just makes it fun and easily connectable. He's been on the circuit for about 16 years. He's been involved in comedy for 20. We were in the car together for over eight hours and he kindly did this interview for me. You're really going to like this one. Uh, it's a great interview. talks about all the fringe shows he's done. And I really enjoy talking to Yanni. He's a great guy as well. What's been happening with me, though? Well, I've been moving into my missus' place. I should have it done by the end of the week. So it's going to be big changes for me. I'll let you know how that goes. If you like this podcast, you want to follow us on Twitter. We're there at The Comedy Defect. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Winter Fonander. If you want to come see my live stand-up gig dates, you can find them on my website, which is winterfonander.com. If you like this podcast and you want to keep updated of what's going on, you can follow us on the Facebook page. We can go to the Facebook page, like it there, or you can join the Facebook group, which is The Comedy Defect Podcast. But if you like this podcast and you want to donate to us, you can. We're on Patreon. Just go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast and donate as much or as little as you want. But if you can't kick something back to us, just leave us a nice review on iTunes or Podbean because it really helps. That's all I'm going to say for this intro, because this episode is with Yanni Agisolo. Enjoy. Yanni Agisolo, welcome to The Comedy Defect. Thank you for coming. You're very welcome. Thanks a lot, man. How are you doing today? Oh, it's nice to be out of the car. Mm. Yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm doing good, man, you know. So I don't know if everyone listening knows, but we just drove back from Plymouth. That's right. Yes. Yeah, Germany. It's a long way. Was it three and a half hours? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a big old uh, journey, all right. Mm-hmm. Difficult. I'm not feeling too good, actually, at the moment. A bit sick, a bit ill. Oh, yeah. A bit, a bit sniffly, yeah. Mm. Sort of a bit of a sniffle. And you had uh, you had a few little road rages. Yes, I did in the way. We survived those, though, which is good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's only for the people in the car. Yeah. I resisted the urge to sideswipe people, which is, you know, I've got a scratch down one side, you know, that's it. If it you know, you were, you're a witness, so if that went badly, you know, I could have called back on you for insurance, you know. Well, there was that guy's car that was like steaming smoke out the back, so mm. I don't know if someone else sideswiped him. That's true, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe yeah. someone got to him before I did. You yeah, know, he got road rage before I had a chance to. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I saw you, you closed the night last night. I really enjoyed your set last night, Thanks. Annie, and it was it was it was great. I loved it. I loved it. Loved watching that. It was really really good. Uh, you're very high energy and very physical uh, performer mm. as well. It was great to watch. Uh, you have been how many? You've been going like a long time, about fifteen years. You said to me, yeah, since and, I had my first gig on the like in January two thousand. So as long whoa. as this century has been going, that's mm. how long I've been doing stand up. Okay, wow, yeah. fifteen, sixteen years then. Wow. Sixteen, I'm getting on seventeen. Wait, where was your first gig? It was at an open mic night that my friend Rachel used to work at, mm. and I was in an impro comedy group. So we did a bunch of like impro stuff, and we did a few shows and. And there was a bunch of us in there and we all wanted to do stand-up, but none of us had done it, except after my friend Nick, he'd done one gig at like a mm. student campus comedy mm. competition or something. And we were all like, what's it like, Nick? What's it like? I think he goes, oh, it was all right, you know. You know, from speaking from his one gig of experience, you know, telling us what it was all about. <laughs> yeah, and then our friend Rachel worked at this place called the Comedy Palace mm. in Melbourne on Brunswick Street. And every week they had this thing called King of the Ring, I think it was mm. called. And the way it would work would be, it was like a gong show. There was this guy emceeing, uh, Adam Vincent, I don't know if you know Adam, he lives in Yes, I do actually. Yeah. He lives up in Luton. That's direction. right, yes, yeah. he does. Mm. Yeah, and he was the MC, and he was extremely experienced. He'd been going mm. two years at the time. <laughs> and, uh, so we all looked up to Adam, and the way it worked was that you had a maximum of seven minutes, and they'd gong you when you lost the crowd, and then mm. afterwards they'd do like a clapometer mm-hmm. with the crowd to like whether and you get a score out of five yeah it was like edinburgh and then you get a score out of 12 and that was the way it worked mm-hmm. so rachel used to work at this gig and and we all we'd, we'd all always say well one day we're going to do stand-up one day we will do we're all going to do a gig mm-hmm. and then this one week rachel said just spoke, was speaking to us and said someone dropped out this week you got one of you guys should do it 
and we were all like, no, we can't, we're not ready. We haven't written anything, you know, like we couldn't possibly do it. She said, just, just do it. Like, just do it. What's the worst that can happen? You'll suck and it doesn't matter because, you know, no one's watching and, you know, then you'll have done it, right? And we were like, well, that makes sense. So we literally drew straws. We actually got some straws. We cut mm. them into different lengths. We pulled them out. And I got a short one, so mm-hmm. I was doing the gig, and then me and my friend Lawrence Lung, who's still a comedian, has been to Edinburgh lots of times, he's been on TV a few times in Australia now, he, we sat in my room and just basically, I had this sheet of paper that I used to write funny stuff mm. down on, like, even before I even was going to do stand-up, because I, I don't know why, I was just like, that's funny, I'll write that down. Why are you writing it down, Yanni? Oh, I couldn't tell you why, <laughs> but it could come in handy yeah. at some point. Someday. You're hoarding the, the humour, yeah. That's it. One day I might use this for something. Yeah. So you did not improv to start with. Ha- yes. Impro, impro, you call it impro in we Australia? We call it impro in Australia, yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, you just want to drop the V, just, you know, relax, that's it. Too it's many, just too more, it's more of an Aussie word, impro, mate. <laughs> improv, you know, you've got to actually put that effort in at the end to, to, to tie, tie a string on the end of the sound, like yeah. improv. Yeah. Forget that, it's yeah. impro. Yeah, right. It's nice impro, one. mate. Nice. You did that for how many years before you started stand-up then? Uh, maybe two, I think. Right. Yeah, so um, I was at university studying law and commerce, which is... Mm. thoroughly overqualified to be an underpaid mm. clown <laughs> yeah and then I did a, like a sketch comedy show in my second year and then the third year third year which would have been 98 yeah there was just this um, these guys who had done a lot of theatre sports at high school Lawrence and this guy Andrew McClelland who mm. they set up this group they we call, were called him Prozac right. which is a wonderfully undergraduate name for a mm. program I mean that's the rule when you're in an impro group isn't it you go you start with impro and then you mm. just add words that can start with pro mm-hmm. like so you know improzac improfessionals <laughs> probability yeah. probability whatever pull it up like yeah absolutely mm-hmm. I mean you know you're not going to be well, no, you could call it. Anyway, so yes, yeah, so we, we had this group and we did like a show, like a one week run at the University Theatre, which I, I've never seen the videos since, but I remember it being hilarious. Yeah. I bet it wasn't. Right? <laughs> I bet it wasn't, but I'd love to see it. We did that and then the year after that, we, we did a show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. So that one was called Channel Surfer. So it was all based on pop culture and mm. stuff. And we did like movies and sitcoms and whatever. And that was 99. And then in 2000, that's when I started doing stand-up. Mm. But it gave you a good base to, you know, to, to launch from. Yes. That you got rid of almost, well, nearly all of your fear, I guess, with the, the improv. Uh, nailed it, and uh, <laughs> and you. So it, you know, it really um, it, it sets you up for stand up, really. Because like, okay, well, that's fine. If it doesn't go go well, I've still got all these this this other skill that I can fall back on and go right. Okay, we can just and keep the momentum going with all these extra MC skills, if you like. You know. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, I mean, that's 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 redu- being a bit reductive to improv, but you know, it's just saying you know you have more more freedom, you know, more choices, really, isn't it? Well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it, it certainly was helpful that it wasn't going to be the first time that I'd been on stage, but it was going to be the first time that I'd been on stage by myself. Mm-hmm. And also, what I tended to find with when I did impro was, if you've done a lot, that I find like that there's people who are very good initiators, and there are people who are very good responders. Mm-hmm. And I tended to be a very good responder. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was good at being in a scene, and then something would happen, and then I'd have a funny thing to say about mm-hmm. that. But I wasn't very good at sort of like leading the scene. Yeah, and that. I remember I it made it really hard to start mm. off with with stand-up because then you have to lead. Like, yeah. you can't. Yeah. Like, and so for I remember for a few years when I first started, I I was good when there was a crowd that was responsive. Mm. Like, so if there were hecklers, mm-hmm. I was fine with that. Mm. But if it was a dead crowd and mm. I had to make it happen myself, it was, mm. I was, that was very hard for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. You jump, yeah, you need a jumping off point. You're right. You know, yeah. That's it. You've got to crack them. Yeah. It's a game for you then, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, this is the game. Okay. I can do this. It's in your skill set. Yeah. I, I mean, are you, is it, are you the only creative in the family or you're. No, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. No, 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 no. You've got brothers and sisters as well. No, my brother is, um, well, he used to be a dancer and now he's a choreographer. Right. And he's moving into like directing films and stuff mm. now because. what he says is that well you know choreography is just direction you know Mm -hmm. so it's just the same thing because it's all movement and it's just uh, so he's sort of like he does music videos and things like that and he's fantastically creative like Mm. uh, I'm always super super impressed whenever I see anything that he does and my my mum's side of the family all paint like my great grandfather used to paint church icons right so for Greek Orthodox Church so there's this church in um, Faulkner in Melbourne Mm. 
and basically like the whole dome and everything all around the world, the world, all around the walls, yeah. all the icons, they're all painted by my great grandfather. Wow. And yeah, so that was his job. That Ooh. was what he would do. And he was very heavily involved in the church. And then my grandma painted and my mum paints and, and my dad is a lawyer. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he used to, yeah. he used to be, he used to sing as well in a band. Mm-hmm. So no, there's lots of creative stuff. But right. I mean, I think like most people are creative mm. when they're allowed to be. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think you know, so. so I don't think you meet anyone mm. who you go, did you ever like drawing as a child? Never. Did you like singing? No. Dancing? No. Like, you know, what did you like doing? <laughs> just, you know, just, I, you know, childhood was just a chore to get through before I could get a job. You yeah. know, that's, mm. I really joined the rat race. <laughs> it's not a thing. Finally, I'm working in admin. Thank yes. God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a long 18 years. <laughs> Okay, with, with the creative stuff, you know, yeah. I think you're right. I think you've got to be allowed to, um, it's got to be in your culture or maybe hopefully in your family. Someone mm. has to be a bit creative and they continue it. With your schools in Australia, mm. were they very encouraging of creative arts or were they, was it, oh, we've got an art class or, oh, we should, you know, do this. You might find your calling or what, or they just kind of like, look, mate, just go, look, that won't go. I'm sorry, it's a terribly Australian accent, but just go and work down the mines, mate, you know. Go and work down the mines. So that, that, that's an interesting mixture of a Cockney <laughs> accent and Australian accent <laughs> and Northern English culture, I guess. Mm, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, go work down the mines, mines, mate. mines, yeah. Oh, to mines, yeah. <laughs> I think at primary school there everyone's pretty supportive of you being creative yeah you know what I mean like because you know you still do art and you do drama and mm. all of that all within uh, your classes and then even within your classes you know they'll they'll be like you know in primary school they'll be like we're doing a project you know draw a map of mm. Australia mm. in geography class and whatever so all of the stuff you do involves some sort of creative process and that, right. I guess that's why it's well it's fun you know like so when, when you get a geography assignment, you can bust out your doing pencils and, mm. you know, and that's mm. part of it. Then it's a lot less of a chore. Yeah. But, and then my high school, like I went to a real fancy private school. Oh. So it was like the M- Melbourne equivalent of like Eton. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a proper fancy school. And oh, that was very academically. There were two things that they were pretty big on and that was mm. academics and sport. Right. Right. So, and I would suggest... Glamour-wise, sport was number one mm. with that. But they had a lot of resources, so they always got very good marks and, you know, a lot mm. of very, very strong students. But I wouldn't have said it was a very arts-oriented school. Right. Like, they offered it, and there were some great artists there. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like... if It's not like if your kid had artistic aptitude. Mm. Like, if I have a kid and they are artistically minded, I wouldn't send them. Yeah. to Scotch College which is where I went like right. not because it's not a good school it is but it's like I would send them somewhere that is focused on that you know mm. that for whom it's the main course it's not an ancillary dish it's not mm-hmm. garnish you know and I, luckily I mean I was quite academic mm. but my brother is highly intelligent but not mm. really was never really academic mm-hmm. when he was a child and he went to a, a different private school I don't know why my parents sent mm. us to different schools right? but um, you know about halfway through that I, he actually went up to my parents and was like I think you're wasting your money sending me here mm, mm. and then he ended up going to the local public school and then he ended up going to dance school because that was something he sort of discovered halfway through his well his teenage years mm-hmm. I did as much artistic stuff as I could yeah. like I mean I did a lot of school plays mm. and then but then that's a weird thing it's a weird thing school plays mm. you know, who they cast for things a lot of the time when you're like 15 or 14 a lot of it more depends on how one how confident you are. Two, your physical development. You know, like if someone's meant to be an adult, they'll just cast the tall kid. You know what I mean? They'll be like, "You look like an adult." We'll cast you, and you go, "But I'm a much more convincing actor than that person." They'll be like, "Yeah, but you don't look right for the part," which is perfect training for a career in acting, right? Because that's kind of how it is. Yeah. But you know, also I think it's it depends on your relationship with your teacher as well. Because, I mean, I remember I got, like, an A-plus in drama in year eight, and then I got a D for it in year nine or something, mm. because I just hated my teacher, yeah. and he didn't particularly like me. Mm. I just hated that guy. Like, you know, yeah. it's just... Well, I just remember, like, he wrote this play. Like, he yeah. was doing... He was like, he wrote this play, and he was like, oh, we're going to do a play that I wrote, right? mm. which must be great, you know, when you have this cohort of, of 15-year-old boys available to you, to, you know, and you can just go, fuck it, I'll just write a play, and then we'll do it. So how, how many shows have you done then, Yelly? Is it solo, solo yeah, shows? Solo shows. How many shows have you done? I think it's 10. 
Wow. I think it's either 10. Do you know all the names? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what was your first? Okay, my first show I did in 2003 at Melbourne Comedy Festival, Mm. and that was called USA. And that was because I'd just been to the States, and I was Mm. like, I'm going to do a show about the United States. Mm -hmm. And it was all right, I guess. It was just exciting for me to do a show. So I couldn't even remember half the stuff that I have in there now. And then I did that, and then the year after that I did a show at Melbourne Comedy Festival called Black and White, mm. and that was about whether truth is absolute or relative, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I just jumped up to something a bit more deep there. <laughs> and, um, and then I did, what was that, that's 2004, and I didn't do a show in 2005, mm. I, then in 2006 I did a show called Yanni's Head, and that was like, it's like Inside Out or Herman's Head, you know the movie Inside Out, mm. so basically sort of mm-hmm. split up my psyche into like four main characters. I had like love, fear, libido, and um, what was the other one? Logic. Yeah. And then I just uh, did a show where I like, there'd be bits where I'd be doing stand up as me. And then there'd be bits where I'd cut into like scenes mm-hmm. in my head where, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's an old trope. Great stuff. little I didn't come up with it. Yeah. yeah. So I did that. And then I did that in Edinburgh as well. 2007, I didn't do a show. Oh, Wait, no, 2007, I did a show called Maybe You'd Like to Teach the Class. Mm. So that was like just based on a story about like, you know, being a smart ass in class and have the teacher go, maybe you'd like to teach the class and sort of going, well, maybe if I did get to teach a class, knowing what I know now being a, an adult, mm. how much of the stuff they teach you at school is what you actually go, oh, I do need to know that to be an adult. Mm. So that was the premise of that show. And then 08, I didn't do a show. 2009, I did two shows. I did mm. one called They Fuck You Up Greek Parents, and that was about my Greek family. Mm-hmm. I did one called The University User's Guide, so that's that was about uh, space, quantum physics, that right. sort of thing. And I did both of them in the same year. Long, a lot of shows. In 2010, yeah. I did a show called... No, so that's wrong. Those, those two were in 2010. 2009, I did a show called MP3some, and that was a show about... It was a show about a love triangle I was involved in, but then I did it with music. So, mm-hmm. like, I sort of was sort of like, um, I had like a lot of sound cues and mm-hmm. I would trigger off stuff. So I would just use music or sound cues or sound effects mm-hmm. to sort of enhance the storytelling. Yeah. Um, so I did that in 09 and that was at the five pound fringe, which is a thing that doesn't exist ah, anymore. Right. Few, that was a thing in Edinburgh run by, um, GSOH, which was John Briley. Right. It was a good idea. It was basically just, you know, a bunch of shows that cost a fiver which is a good price point, I think. Yeah. You know, this is before Free Fringe was really big. Then, so that's 2010. Then 2011, I did a show that called Things That Make You Go Ooh, and that was about coincidences. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of like just was based on a story about this massive coincidence that happened to me. And then 2012, I did a show called Number Number, and that was a show about numbers and mm-hmm. autism. Mm-hmm. And then 2013, I did a show called um think big yes i saw that yeah so that was the one that was about ambition and that was Mm. the show where at the end of the festival i booked the edinburgh international conference center and tried to sell it out which i did not do but i still sold it was almost 400 tickets it was over half though wasn't it no it holds 1200 ah okay it holds 1200 and i Mm. sold about 400 which was still good Mm. i really did think i was going to sell it out like i did you had ed Byrne as well opening for you that's right Yeah. yeah and he promised to do that if I sold more tickets than he did that night, and I didn't, and he did it anyway. Oh, good man. But I mean, yeah, it was nice of him, yeah. but I could have done with the extra 10 minutes of stage time. <laughs> <laughs> so that was 2013. Yeah. Then 2014. What was that? That's three years ago. What did I do in 2014? I did. Oh, no, I took a year off. That's oh. right. That's right. After the whole burnout of trying to sell the bloody venue, mm. I took a year off mm. and I just came up and watched stuff, and it was yeah. great. Right. Um, and then last year, so you'd think the one last year would be the easiest mm. one to remember. I know what it was. Yeah. Uh, last year, I did a show called Why Did the Chicken Cross the Line? And that was about where's the line in jokes. That was the short version of that yeah. ver- uh, of that show. Uh, and I did that at the stand and I did, com- I did Comedians Against Humanity mm. for the first time. Mm-hmm. And then this year, I did um, The Simpsons Taught Me Everything I Know mm. and Comedians Against Humanity again. Yeah. So... Yeah, so I think that's 10 or 11 shows. Yeah. If you count Comedians Against Humanity, it might even be more than that. Wow. And so you, you're continuing the Comedians Against Humanity and you're continuing the Simpsons show. Well, I'm just touring it where I haven't taken it. 
but yeah, Comedians Against Humanity is great because it's a lineup show, so mm. I can I get three comedians every night, so I can book different people through it. Mm. Plus, it's improvised, so mm-hmm. it, it's different every night. So it, you know, I can I can take it to different places, and people mm. can come back and see it again. Yeah. But what's interesting about that is that show came out of an idea that didn't work out. Like, because originally my idea for last year was I was going to do the show at the stand, you know, why did she can cross the line? And that was all about offense and, you know, what's offensive and all of that. And then I had this idea, which I think in retrospect is a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. It just was that I was going to get a free fringe slot, which mm. I got at Movement, which is one of those nightclubs just near the underbelly, just mm. on the other side of Cowgate. And I was going to like do a show that wasn't a show so much as it was an installation. So it was meant to be like a people would walk in and would have like interactive things about you know the nature of offence and like and it was a, probably a good idea, but you got to follow through and make an idea and a reality. So anyway, I got to about a month before the fringe, and I realised that I hadn't written it, oh. I hadn't done it, and I was like, oh god, I don't have enough time mm. to do this to do this properly. And then it was getting the point, like the final deadline for the free fringe guide. So mm. I had that, this thought of like, oh, well, if you're not going to do it, you need to tell, you know, tell mm-hmm. the free fringe and you also need to tell them what you are going to do. And so I was like, okay, well, I've got this slot. What do I want to do with it? And then, because I, like I said to you, I started doing impro and I, mm. I thought I'd really like to do an impro show mm. because I was like, it has to be, has to be very little work. That's one <laughs> thing because I don't have time to write anything. So it has to be something I, I can't write. I don't have to write. And then I wanted to do something where I could get guest comedians, where mm. I could have comics come on and be funny. But also I didn't want them to have to prep anything. Because mm-hmm. um, I've done gigs like that. And it seems like a good idea. And then in the middle of Edinburgh, people go, you'll have to do some prep. And you're like, oh God, mm. I, I don't have time. I just don't have the energy or the time. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, well, you know, what, I'll, what do I like about impro shows? And I thought I like that it's improvised. I like that you get to really see how a performer's mind works mm-hmm. and then I was like what don't I like about impro shows and I was like audiences give terrible suggestions because they try and be funny you know mm-hmm. they're like oh give us a location you're at a gynecologist mm-hmm. and you go mm-hmm. I'm sure that's hilarious to you mm-hmm. you know like last night when the woman said oh, I work at a at a fa- factory packing, I pa- factory yeah really. packing things at a factory and, mm-hmm. and you could just you just you're like three two that's one it. and someone was like fudge <laughs> And, yeah, and, and and you really want to be better than that, don't you? You really want them to be better than that sometimes. You, but you know, you have to don't you have to hit those notes sometimes. It's like oh, you know, because I was seeing last night. I was like, I really don't want to do some of those things. I was like, no, I don't want to. I want to do better than that. You know, I want to. I want to take it to the next, maybe two more after that. That thought, you know, yeah. rather than just go oh fuck fucking. Meh. But you should do that because you're a mm. comedian and you've done hundreds or thousands mm. of gigs. So they don't need to be able to do that because mm. they're an audience member and. They think that's hilarious, and it is to them because they've never heard it before. You know, it's like the first time you heard an, like an, uh, an a knock knock joke. Mm-hmm. You go, "Oh, that's really really funny," and and that were like the first time you you hear the word "poo." Like you know, mm-hmm. like children, toddlers, like you, they go "poo poo," and mm-hmm. they just they lose it. They're like, "That's the funniest thing in the world," mm-hmm. and then they grow out of that. You know, mm-hmm. but audiences haven't grown out of it. And that's it's the first level, isn't it? You know, yeah. That's it. yeah, yeah. Like you wouldn't get experienced comedy audiences doing mm-hmm. that. You know, they're not going to be like, fudge, I said it. That's right, I said it. Well, they're like, oh God, I've heard, I've heard 10 people say that. Yeah. So I was like, is there a, what would be good is if you could give the audience the suggestions to give to you. But I was like, well, how's that going to work? Because audiences are going to be like, well, that's just like, it's like it's set up, like it's rigged or something. Mm. Well, not that it's rigged, but also kind of that's the sort of fun part for them. But mm. then I thought it's not sometimes because a lot of the time people, it's only a vocal minority that actually mm. like yelling stuff out. Most people kind of don't like they would like, they would like to be involved if there was a sort of low pressure mm-hmm. structured way they could do it. And then I thought, well, what, where would you get good, funny sort of suggestions? And then I just at some point was like, what about cards against humanity cards? Like, mm. and then that solved a lot of problems because I was like, number one, you can get funny suggestions and plus I go through the deck and I take out the ones that I go, eh, these suck a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Two, it's a nice way to let people be involved without having them have to be over-involved. Mm-hmm. And three, it's, um, it's, it's, it helps to market the show because people go, oh, I like this, this game. And they come along and they don't quite know how the show works. I mean, a lot of people came along and said, I thought we we're going to be playing the game with you. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, it's really just an impro show, mm-hmm. but... 
it's good because people buy tickets to it or people come to it. And it's so hard to sell in pro shows, mm. even though they're, I mean, well, I say they're good. Good in pro is amazing. Mm-hmm. The poor in pro is terrible. It's called the, the impro minstrels happy mm. thinky hour. You know, mm-hmm. no one's going to come mm. to that. But comedians <laughs> against humanity, people come. And then you get, you get to give performers a really nice space to perform to a lot of people mm. who are up for an impro show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Mm. And it, it takes the pressure off because it's a structured impro show. Yes. Isn't it? And so they can, go, they can relax and go, because some people in the audience might think, oh, I didn't, he's, he's kind of said the thing, I don't, I don't really want to see something that's to do with that word that that person's called out, mm. say, for example, gynecology. Yeah. I don't really want to see that. Yeah. And then, so the, the audience are always with you because they go, okay, this is what's going to happen. It's safe. We've got this nailed down. It's okay. Mm. So yeah, that's great. Though. I mean, and you're you're enjoying that, and you could continue to do that around the, wherever yeah, you haven't taken it. I love it. I mean, I'm, mm. uh, and also the other thing that's nice about it is is that is that audiences you can like comedians can deal with some dark dark mm. stuff because because audiences know that they've been lumped with it. Mm-hmm. You know that they didn't. It's not like like Tim Rankow had to do. I've got one thing which is like a press conference and. So each comedian has to give a press conference for a different reason. One of them is a book launch. So I get a couple of cards for the title of the book and like I make a title up and then the comedian will improvise. So thanks so much for coming to my book launch. This is the title of my book. And then the other thing that's cool about it is in the press conferences, the audience, the press, so they can ask questions and Mm. stuff. So they'll put their hand up, I'll throw to them and people will be like, oh yes, uh, tell me about this in your book. Or I remember in chapter four, you said this or this. And it's great, like people get really involved, mm-hmm. but it gives them a nice structured way to be involved. Mm-hmm. The other, one of the other press conferences is you're a government minister and you're announcing that the government has decreed that someone's going to be sentenced to death mm-hmm. and they're going to be executed using death by something, right? And anyway, I had Tim, Tim Rankow on, and if people listening don't know, Tim has cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and, you know, so... Tim comes on, and Tim's great at this at this show. Number one, because he's a fantastic improviser. Mm-hmm. But number two, because he can get away with so much right? <laughs> because he's got cerebral palsy, and yeah. he just comes on, and people don't know how to tell. Like they they're almost like afraid to be offended by him, which is oh well, you know. And he's got a real dark sense of humor anyway. Mm-hmm. So I got him to do the gays have been sentenced to death by the Jews, right? which I would never give to anyone mm. other than Tim because mm. everyone would be like, no, thank <laughs> yeah. you. But he nailed it and mm. it was hilarious. And it was like one of those things where I was like, you could never, ever do these jokes as stand-up. Mm. You couldn't. Mm. Like, it's like set list, you know, mm. when you watch someone do set list and this this stuff comes up that you go, like, I got, I remember I did set list one night and mm. I got in defense of Jimmy Savile. Okay. So it comes up and of course everyone, you know, yeah. goes, ooh. Mm. And... And I remember I got one of the biggest laughs I ever got, which was just... Because I remember having this thought when I, I was having a conversation with someone and they said, you know, it was terrible that, that you know, Jimmy Savile died and he never had to go to court, you know, he never he never had to pay for his crimes. Mm. And I thought, yeah, you're right, that is, that is, that is absolutely terrible. But then I just thought, well, there is actually one person for whom it's not terrible for, and that would be his defence lawyer, right? Because there would have been some poor bastard whose job it would have been mm. to go into court and have to defend Jimmy Savile. Yeah. And so I just basically made jokes about that. Like, mm. you know, you're going to defense of Jimmy Savile. Like, you know, I'm saying that like, that would be that poor bastard. And you'd have to, you'd have to sit down with a pen and paper and go, how am I going to, what am I going to say? Like, mm. how am I mm. going to try and justify <laughs> this horrendous person's <laughs> actions? And you come up with something along the lines of like, wow. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what 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 is it really that my client is being accused of? Well, I would suggest my client is is guilty of nothing more than being impatient, mm-hmm. right? And I said <laughs> I said that, and everyone was like, "Oh!" and they just lost it. Mm. But I couldn't do that as stand up, no. Mm-hmm. But you can do it as impro. Yeah, they know, so, they know the rules. You know, you got to go with it, isn't it? That's it. And they know yeah. this, this is a safe place for it, and it's not. That's not the intention. Yeah, and, 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 and then I hadn't thought about that before two minutes ago, you know. Mm. Like, when you do it as stand-up, people go, oh, you've sat in a room and you've thought this through, right? Yeah. You know, you should have thought better. Mm-hmm. But with an impro show, like, that's why it can be really satirical. Like, mm. every now and then you get a thing mm. where, oh, yeah, I read Radu Isak do, um, we had to put Muhammad to death, and it was like, oh. Mm-hmm. And it was great, and I've got it on video, and mm. it's just... 
and you just can say very satirical things that you'd never get away with normally and it's a real nice safe space. I'm not saying it's always like that, but it can be and when it is, it's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and so your the Simpsons one is what you're you're doing like more regularly now, is that right? You Well, that was my like that was my festival show for mm. this year, so 2016. It was like I started doing it in Perth mm. and then I did it in Melbourne, Sydney, um, Perth again, Edinburgh, mm. and yeah. So I mean, but it's not exactly a hard sell that one. Mm. But you know, I love The Simpsons and like so many people, and I've just watched it far, far too much. But I remember I had that idea like about two years ago, mm. and I was like, I'd really like to do a show about The Simpsons. Mm. But it came from. I remember I was having a chat with a friend of mine, and I was saying, you know, like the worst thing is because for me and for so many people. The Simpsons is like, it's not just a show, like it's sort of become, it's sort of transcended that. The references, for, if, you're, if, you're, if you're in the know, right, if you're a Simpsons fan, the references have just become part of your language, mm. you know, like when something, when something happens, there's a relevant Simpsons quote, you just say that, and all the people who are also Simpsons fans go, yes, that's exactly mm. right, right, and, and that's fun, like it's a really nice bonding thing mm. that we have, and especially almost now, because now... There's so few shows like that that mm. have that because, you know, it was on when there were four channels or whatever. And now there's, you know, there's so much stuff like mm. you just can't keep up with everything. Yeah. It's almost the last show we might have that's going to have that thing that like everyone watched it. So, yeah, I, I, and I just was talking to someone about how like every now and then like I'll make a Simpsons joke mm. around my mum and she won't get it. I'll go, I just, I'll have that thing. I'm like, I wish you got that. Like, I mm. just wish you got Correct. that. Yeah, so I was like, I'd like to do sort of like a show about that sort of shared cultural things that we that we mm. have, and sort of do that through the medium of The mm. Simpsons. Mm. So yeah, and I, I had that idea while I was still writing the show before. Mm. Um, but it's like, but it's it's that thing. When like ten years ago, I remember when well more than that, when The Simpsons mm. was first in its height of popularity. Yeah, early nineties. Yeah, I remember sitting in the pub with my brother, mm. and like he, that pub just shut up when the Sim- six Simpsons mm. came on. Pub shut up, watch The Simpsons yeah. in the pub. You know, that was it. Wow. That was the focal point. You know, it was crazy. Yeah. I remember seeing that. It's, it's, yeah, so it's a, it's a great hook, isn't it? It's like, you know, everyone that can kind of reconnect on that. It's in our, it's in our collective consciousness. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Um, so it's, a, it's a, I mean, it's an easy sell, which, mm. you know, massive marketplace is definitely a help. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was never done in a cynical way. I wasn't like, all right, well, let's get these cunts in then, shall we? Mm. You know, like, I, I love the show and mm. I can, and, and I think, and that's, I, that was another thing. Like when I was writing it, I was like, this has to be good because if you're doing a show about something that people love and it sucks, they mm. will hate you. Mm. Like they will hate you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you're doing a Harry Potter show and you don't know your shit and people mm. are going to know more than you yeah. in the crowd, you're not going to last 10 seconds, you know, because mm-hmm. people will be like, you don't know what you're talking about. Do you? So I was really sort of aware that I had to know what I was talking about, but it's, it's, one, I love the show. Two, the more I've dug deep into it, the more I've found. Like, I listen to a lot of the director's mm-hmm. commentaries and you hear these great stories about the writers and, and about the guest stars that they had. Like, for example, like uh, in that monorail episode, like uh, Leonard Nimoy's the guest star, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But he wasn't, the, uh, he wasn't the original choice for the guest star. The, originally, they were going to ask George Takei. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now, George Takei had already been on The Simpsons in mm-hmm. season two. He was the sushi chef in the Fugu episode. Mm-hmm. And they said to George Takei, and they said, oh, do you, know, do you want to come? We're going to do this monorail episode. I'll digress just for a quick moment. Apparently, Conan O'Brien wrote the monorail. Well, not apparently. Conan O'Brien wrote the monorail episode. But he got the idea for it when he was just, he was driving home and there was a billboard and all it said was monorail. That's all mm-hmm. it said. And he got the idea from that. But yeah, so they said to George Takei, do you want to come and do this monorail episode? And he was like, I don't think I should because... And they were like, why not? And he goes, mm. I don't want to say anything bad mm. about monorails. And they were like, why? Mm. And it was because he was sitting on some rapid transportation subcommittee in San Francisco that was advocating for San Francisco to right. get a monorail. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it won't be a good look, right? Mm-hmm. And, then, and yeah. then he got he got Leonard Nimoy, and he mm. asked him. And they had not asked Leonard Nimoy, not because they didn't think he'd be great, but because they didn't think he'd do it, mm. right? And then the writers were saying, well, that's like one of the first times we realized we could get much bigger guest mm. stars than yeah. we thought we could, because this was around season four, so maybe it was three, It's I think it's four... Anyway, it doesn't matter. That's mm. when it was really starting to take yeah, off, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... 
you know, there's that, and there's these there's these internet groups now where people make memes, and mm-hmm. like it's just amazing mm-hmm. how pervasive that this mm-hmm. Simpsons culture is, and it's yeah. like. I think it's like Shakespeare. Like, mm. I think it is. I think it's like Shakespeare for our time. Right. Because I, you know, and I know that sounds ridiculous because Shakespeare is Shakespeare. Mm. But Shakespeare wouldn't have been Shakespeare 20 years after Shakespeare mm. first started writing stuff. Mm. Right. It would have been like, oh, that Shakespeare's big, isn't it? You remember it was massive. Everyone loves Shakespeare. Mm. But in like 300 years, it could be our Shakespeare or something like that. Mm. Because it's got so, it's got so much content. I mean, there's a lot of it is not, amazing but then same with Shakespeare like mm. you know there are better and worse Shakespeare plays yeah you've got your golden age of Shakespeare mm. you know and they're like yeah. it's not writing another Henry play is season you? one and season two are yeah. amazing you know <laughs> yeah so you're, do, you're doing that show and you and have you got a show planned for this year coming yeah so this year I'm doing a show it's going to be I'm writing it now um, so it's called The Unpinchable Pink Pen. Mm. Unpinchable Pink Pen mm. and well you know this because you saw I did some material about it last night yeah. but that came from a story where my friend Tiana, who works on a cruise ship, mm. was telling me that she um, purposely, even though she hates the colour pink, she buys pink stationery mm. because the men on the ship won't steal it because mm. it's pink. And I thought, that's really funny. Like, I just think that's that's really crazy. And then, since then, I've spoken to a lot of friends about it. I've had three other friends say they do the same thing, mm. right? Uh, two female friends say in the office that they get pink stationery, mm-hmm. purple stationery, and also because apparently it's on sale all the time. Mm. It's cheap and no one will nick it. <laughs> and then my mate was like, yep, you know, my mate who's a smoker was like, yep, that's why you get the pink lighter, right? Because mm. no one's going to nick your lighter. Mm. That's where I got the title from, but I already had the idea I wanted to write a show about gender roles, mm. right? It sort of evolved. Like, initially, I kind of wanted to write a show about feminism but from a male perspective I've sort of gone off that a bit because mm. I was thinking of calling it feminism mansplained right mm. but then I don't know that that's necessarily my thing to talk about right and as it's gone on like because I and then it became a show about gender roles and I'm like I do feel I can talk about that because you know there are definitely male gender roles and female gender roles and they're the opposite side of the same coin. So, mm. you know, if you're talking about what's masculine, you are also, by definition, talking about what's feminine. Mm. So, yeah, I don't mean, I don't know how exactly where it's going to end up, but mm. I, I think it'll probably be a show about gender roles that comes first through masculinity because, of course, I'm a guy. So, mm. um, but yeah, I'm writing that now and I'm really enjoying writing it. And I think that's also, it's also a very universally accessible mm. show because... Yeah whether or not you know it or not, or whether or not you acknowledge it, Mm. these are all things that you will be confronted with and that affect your life every single day. Mm. And and they do. And like, Mm. you know, and you only notice it when someone goes, you know, that only happens because of this, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, and I think, yeah, and it's, it's a show that every everyone can watch and go. I totally understand exactly what mm. you're talking about. But I think that's one of your. I'm um, seeing your set last night. Yeah. Uh, that's one of your strengths, though. Your your reconnectable stuff, mm. but not taking it down the same run the mill kind of route. It's just like really uh, cerebral and like you know bring in the of course the common tropes just to kind of make it easy to digest for them. But it was it was, and very physical with the improv stuff as well, which mm. is great. You just riffed a lot of that stuff to, last night. What from what I saw, it's going to be really good fun. And that, you're doing that Edinburgh this year? Yeah, I mean, that's the plan. What's, um, do you know, you're, you're not, of course, we haven't applied yet, but you're no, in a room, no, and that's it. Not yet. That's it. Too soon. Uh, too soon, would you? Too soon. Your family's like, ever come to see your shows? Yeah, they? yeah, they come all the time. Yeah, that's great. And, yeah, yeah, mum's like my biggest fan. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. And, and oh, but dad as well? Dad, well dad's, dad's a fan, but mum's mm. my biggest fan. But my mum's basically, like, I could be making sculptures out of shit. My mum would be like, no one makes sculptures out of shit. Like my son. You know? Are you the youngest, Yanni? No, I'm the oldest. Oh, the oldest, are you? Mm. But have you ever gotten your brother to help you direct your show, or what do you think you can do this? Or? It's a weird one, that, actually. I mean, I think he could be... He certainly helped me with some visual aspects, mm-hmm. but I think directing a show, like a comedy show, I think it should be someone who's either a comedian or mm. who works in comedy. Like, I mean... He's got a wonderful eye for movement and stuff, but comedy's not so much about movement. Mm. I mean, it is in physicality, but that's a different thing entirely. I mean, it's funny, like, my dad is very well-meaning, God bless him. Mm. Um, But, you know, like, I remember when I first started, so maybe this is when I was 20, maybe 21 or something, so my brother was 16, and he was at dance school, and, and my dad would be like, and you know when people give you an idea, and you can tell... They haven't thought it through. They've just <laughs> gone, well, th- this seems to work. He'd be like, 
why don't you, Yanni, why don't you get your brother before to do a bit of a dance before your show? And I'm like, how do you see this happening? Have you ever been to a comedy show where they go, and here's one, uh, one man dancing, just, mm-hmm. and then we'll have the show. Like, and it's like, well, number one, everyone be like, why? And the only real answer to that question is, because it's Yanni's brother and his dad was like, put your brother on, will you? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, like he's six and you're 11 mm-hmm. and you're filming a video with your dad's video camera and he's like, look, include your brother, will you? You know, he's very upset that mm-hmm. he's being left out. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think my brother particularly would have liked kind of going, hey, dancing in front of everyone. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, it's very cute. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But I see, yeah, that w- wouldn't, wouldn't work. No. You've really always been involved in, in performance and stuff from, from, like, you know, from impro, from when? From what age was that? Oh, uh, 19, I think. 19, yeah. okay. So, and then you, you went to do a degree in... I was already doing the degree. Oh, you were already doing the degree as well. Yeah, you yeah. it both at the same time. Yes. So you're like, it's, it's kind of sneak on the side, kind of sneakily doing the impro and, and it's kind of, I don't know, this, well, is, this is more of the It thing. is allowed. They do encourage you no, to have well, know, extracurricular. But, no, I know. I'm off to do, I'm off, I'm off to the theatre department. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell, don't tell <laughs> anyone. Don't tell, you're coming out to your parents and doing impro. Yeah. <laughs> but do you knew straight away when you were doing the impro, like this, this lawyer and finance thing is not what I want to do is well I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it happens as quickly as that mm. like you know as much as as much as it's very rare that you walk in and you go and I saw her across the room <laughs> and I knew we would be together for the rest mm. of our lives like I mean it's a, it's a lovely florid romantic notion mm. but it's not really how things work mm. but it's definitely the case that mm. you know I started doing uh, comedy you know through whatever like I mean when I did I did a sketch comedy review in my second year and I thought that was great even Mm. though I was a terrible actor because I was so self-conscious and Mm. I've seen videos and I'm like, oh my God, I can't watch that. Mm -hmm. And then the next year I did the impro show and that was even better. Mm. And then I started doing stand-up. But then, so by the time, and I took a year off after university and I deferred this job that I had at Mm. this law firm. So by the time I came back and I was at the law firm, I'd been doing stand-up for three and a half years. Mm. So it wasn't like, you know, when people... I mean, it's funny. You tell people, I used to be a lawyer and now I'm a stand-up comedian. Mm. And in their head, they picture the way it worked was, you know, the drudgery got too much and I was (laughs) sitting in the office and one day I just had this idea like, screw it, I'm going to be a comedian. It's like, no, 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 no. I was already doing the stand-up and... Um, and you know, it was just a matter of stepping off and going, could I do that mm. professionally? And, and our only reason I kind of thought I could is because, um, is cause I, when I took the year off after I finished university, I traveled and I came to the UK. Mm. So, um, I, I was doing some gigs when I was here, you know, I met a few people. I met like Jeff Whiting and did Murph gigs and Mike Monera and, mm. Uh, and a lot of people who ran gigs in London and James Wojniewski runs a 99 club. I met him. And then I went back home uh, cause you know, it's prudent to do cause you've got to do a year to get qualified as a lawyer. Right. So right. if I hadn't done that and then I decided later on that mm. I, I wanted to be a lawyer, I would have, I would have missed out on that. So I did the year mm. and then, and how was that? How was that? How was that year in that job? Was tough going? Like you just, well, I mean, it was tough going in as much as some nights I'd burn the candle like big time at both ends. So mm. I was doing this um, radio show once a week on student, uh, this student youth network that they had at RMIT, which is a TAFE college in Melbourne. And, mm. and I'd do it on Tuesdays, which was coincidentally also when I'd do an impro gig in the evening. So I'd get up and it was breakfast shift, this radio show. Mm we had this show called Toasted. And so like I have to get up at five, right? Or like just before five, mm. shower, go in. The radio show would be from six till nine. Mm. Then I would go to work from nine till five or five thirty. Then I would go and do this impro show. Then I would finish and I would get home at about 11. So mm. I mean, that was like a long, long day. And I mean, you know, when, when people start doing stand up and they're still got their job, they do the same thing, you know, like mm. I, People kind of sometimes, if you're driving to Plymouth like we did, mm. they'll be like, oh, I got the half day, you know, mm. I got off at lunch. But oftentimes people just go, well, I can't go out of town because I've got mm. work. So, I mean, it was it was fine. I mean, I, I, don't, I didn't hate the job. Like, mm. I mean, I would have grown to hate the job, mm. but I didn't hate it at the time because, mm. you know, it's intellectually interesting. Mm. It, you know, there were people around. Um, it was a big company. 
I think it was pretty clear where my priorities lay mm. because we started in March. Mm. And so that the first show I told you about the USA, right? I was doing that in 2003 and that's when I started at the law firm mm-hmm. and you know you apply and the slots they give you when you start are not mm-hmm. great so mm-hmm. I had this really early slot at like 6.15 so I was asking my my partner my like the partner at the law firm mm-hmm. who was managing me but just to let you know for the first three and a half weeks I will have to be leaving at about 5.30 every day <laughs> so you know when everyone else is coming in and going right gonna make me a good impression mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell everyone mm-hmm. I'm a go-getter I'm like mm. um, you are very much secondary yeah. here <laughs> yeah just got one year here guys okay just gonna just go do my work experience and then I'm quite completely qualified yeah yeah just, uh, <laughs> well by, by the end by the end they did say that to me like they yeah. just they said oh you know what are your plans for next year which is mm. code for you're not gonna be here next year mm. but that was fine because I didn't plan to be there the yeah. year after by that point and if I had wanted to stay I wouldn't have gotten to a point where I, they would have said that to me yeah. but yeah no I just remember I would like work at I worked at this office and you know like I don't know like you know in offices there are people who are office people right mm. that's that's what they're going to be doing and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that but that's and then there are sort of misfits, you know, mm. they're like office misfits, you know, the one who you kind of look at and go, how'd you end up here? Like, you know, I guess you ended up here not because you, you want to be, I mean, but not that everyone wants to be there, but there's different ways of not wanting to be there. Yeah. Like I would sort of befriend, you know, you just not befriend, but it just happens that way. You end up friends with the sort of slightly quirky mm. artistic people, mm. like the one like, you know, this one woman was in a band outside of, you know, mm-hmm. so we're friends, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we can talk about that sort mm. of thing. And one person like, you know, like she's, she's like does painting and everything mm. like that. And I remember this woman, Kristen, um, asked me once, she said, well, so, you know, like, do you, so you do stand up, right? I said, yeah. And she was like, you know, are you, are you good at it? And I said, yeah, I think I'm pretty good at mm. it. And then she was like, you know, do you reckon you could do it for a living? And I said, I thought about it. I said, I think, I think I could. Mm. And then she just said, look, I've been here for eight years. Let me tell you something. If I could do anything else, mm. I would do it. Mm. Right. And that really stuck with me. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I could just, I, and that was sort of around then I kind of resolved yeah. to leave. It's like those people that, who are in the, in the, those jobs for their lifers, you know, mm. that's nothing wrong with that. They, you know, they, they're fine. They've t- made their choice. Yeah. But they're like, avenge me! <laughs> avenge me! I've been yeah. here forever! And you're like, I'm going to do it for you, man. All you guys, I'm doing this. Yeah. Thanks. Of course, I won't thank you when I win any awards, but... Dro- drops pen, walks out. Yeah. <laughs> drops pink pen, walks out. But yeah, no, I mean, but, but it was that thing also, like, people... I'd pop back in and visit, like, mm. um, every now and then and say hi to people and how you going and whatever, and it's much worse since you left, like not like worse, but like, they're just like, it was nice having you around, you know, because I would make jokes and I would be funny and, Mm. you know, and people are like, Oh, you know, that just helps, you know, and this was always low level stuff, you Mm -hmm. know, like the administrative Mm. stuff were like, Oh, it's great having you around. Yeah. Anyway, the partners were like, shouldn't you be working more? (laughs) (laughs) We haven't ground you down yet. Yeah. You're not, you're not fitting that cookie cutter yet. Yanni. That's what it is, isn't it? They're not all uh, Mr. Burns. (laughs) Look at them all Smithers. Slickers. Every one of them. What are you going to be paying you for? You know, I don't think it was quite as, as nefarious as that. (laughs) Go back to the office one day, go guys, you know, came back, high five them guys. I've done it. I've done it. Little victory lap around the office. Yeah. All three floors. I don't yeah. think I'm fit enough. I had it for a year and a half. Yeah, wow. But the last while, I was just saving money to move back here. Yeah. And then I got to move back here because, well, the reason, I mean, I'm here on a, I'm here on a Cypriot passport. So mm. I follow Brexit with yeah. some, some personal, personal involvement. But yeah, 2004 was when they expanded the EU or when this country went to shit, depending on who you ask. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Cyprus was one of the countries that got admitted. So my family's mm. from Cyprus original, mm. originally. And so since my dad, not my mum, mind you, mm. was born there. My mum was born there, but it's only the fact my dad was born there that entitled me to citizenship and a passport. Yeah. Because, of course, you know, patriarchy. patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And, um, you know, we went there in 2004 and my dad, I'm so glad my dad was there because like... Mm. There is no way I could have navigated the system and got myself a passport without mm. my dad there. Like, because we went, it's, it was just a shambles. Mm. You'd go in, you'd go to the, the capital, Nicosia, and it's mm. a tiny country. It's yeah. not big. You can drive around it. Mm-hmm. And like, you'd go in and it's nothing like any sort of proper 
country where they, you know, take a ticket and sit mm. down and we'll call you and here's a form. Like, you literally got to grab someone and yeah. be like, hello, we're yeah. here for this. And mm. they're like, oh, that's Bandeli, you want over mm. there. Mm. You know, you go over to Bandeli, he's not there, you know. Mm. And like, where is he? Oh, he's, he's around. Mm. And then they just walk off on you. Yeah. And like, there's no system. Mm. Uh, we, we got all that, we got it done in the end. Mm. And then it was in, this was in, July and August 2004 right. and I know that because I was like trying to get the passport done because I wanted to come over during the fringe mm-hmm. in 2004 and it got to a point where I was like well like I've got my Australian passport so I can definitely fly into the UK I can't technically work with it but I wasn't going to the fringe to work I was just going to watch stuff so I was like I'll just tell them that that's what's happening right because mm-hmm. I said to my dad well just when it when you get the passport just mail it to me right so they, that's what they did. But like when I arrived in Scotland, I flew in and they would say, they said, you know, passport, please purpose of visit. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, you see, I'm moving here, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. However, of course I don't have my passport at the moment, but you know, my dad has it. Right. And then I was like, uh-huh. and then they were like, but you don't have it here. And I was like, no, but I'm not working now. I will at some point in the future be working, but mm. I'm just at the moment I'm holidaying. Mm. And they were like, but no, you've now you've expressed an intention to stay. And oh, I had to, no. it was fine in the end. Like yeah. they just, they kind of believed me, which is probably cause it was true. Yeah. So, you know, because what idiot walks in and, you know, <laughs> says, hello there, I don't yeah. have my passport at the moment, but you can be sure I have one, you know. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't do that so blithely <laughs> unless you really were. Yeah. So it was almost like I was such an idiot that they believed me. Put all your cards on the table. Fair play to them. That was uh, surprising. They should just send you back, isn't they? Yeah, yeah they could have done. Yeah. But I mean, if, 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 we, if, if, if I get Brexited out of here, mm. I could literally say I was there the whole, t- whole of Cyprus's, you know, mm. the whole of the period that, 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 I, that, that a Cypriot was able to live and work in the UK, I was there. Mm. I've been to uh, Limassol uh, yes. and Sponge Factory, the uh, Sponge Tour. I, was I, on there. Missed out. I lived there for a year and I never went to the Sponge missed Tour. Out. Missed out, it's amazing. Really? No. No, it's, I don't it's, 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 thought so. It doesn't sound it really, but they, they get the sponges and they, uh, they're brown, aren't they, the sponges? Yeah. And they dye them, they basically, they alive, they get them alive and then put them in bleach it's a bit like the bit in... Is that the sort of thing that if it was like a like, more sentient creature that, the you know, there'd be mm, people up in arms, you'd be yeah. getting change.org petitions and go, people mm. are bleaching chickens mm. live, you know, mm. like every time you go to KFC, you're eating a bleached chicken or mm. something like that. It's, it's a bit like that <clears throat> bit in Who Frame, Frame Roger Rabbit when they dissolve oh, the, 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 the... Yeah, the, the shoe. Yeah, the, the little <laughs> shoe in the dip, yeah, you know, and it's got the little eyes yeah, going... That's it. Gets melted. <laughs> that's exactly what it was like. I was like, oh, okay, is this good? This is just, just like a, some sort of weird torture porn with sponges, really. But anyway, but yeah, so... So I you did it twice, huh? No, I, yes, I filmed it, I filmed it. It's on, it's on YouTube now. <laughs> <laughs> and you're uh, you're over here now, and you're, you're over here for a bit more, and then you're going back to Spencer, but spent half the year here, and then half in Oz. That that's right? where it's, that's what it's been like the last few years. But, um, I mean, before that, I, I would spend most of my time here. Mm. You know, I mean, there's a period I didn't go home for a couple of years, but... Mm. Yeah, just recently, I, I just, I don't know, I just decided I wanted to get off the circuit, really. Mm. I just didn't want to have my livelihood depend on gigs, like being booked by someone else. Mm. And also just, I was getting a bit worn out by the travel, mm-hmm. you know, like the, I don't mind the travel because you can't be a comic without traveling, mm. but just the incessant travel, like, mm. you know four times a week going somewhere out of London and Mm. it's just after a while it just takes its toll on you Mm. so yeah so like I just made a conscious decision to sort of start going back to Australia doing festivals there and Mm. trying to like just build something there and also I've been away from there for so long so just sort of reintegrating myself into the scene there Mm. so that I can spend more time there if I if I wanted to move back you know at some point when you get to a certain age, you're like, oh, my parents aren't getting any younger, mm. you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of the, the plan. So, I mean, I've been going back uh, and I'll be there from Christmas until mm. at least June. Mm. Yeah. I, and it's, it's nicer to go to do gigs that are people there to see your show rather than just mm. see Absolutely. you spot, of course. I mean, it's, it's, it's lovely to believe that, you know, oh, if they all came for me and they're all, <laughs> you know, but sometimes it's like, uh, Lee Mack was sold out, mate, you know, mm-hmm. so. You've been doing comedy for 15 years now, right? 
So it's like comedy. If we're broadening it to comedy from oh, stand-up, okay, here we go. We're getting right. closer to twenty. Twenty years. Yeah. Wow. Apart from the show, what do you? What, what's the future plan for your? your what's the future hall for Duff? Uh, let's well, just yeah, say we've got a few ideas on our sleeve. Yeah. Like what? what? <laughs> we got nothing. No, <laughs> just going to see how it goes and see how it pans out. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I I'll keep doing comedians against humanity. Mm. We've got some people maybe interested in podcasting comedians mm. against humanity. Like the ABC in Australia, there was a guy who was possibly interested in that. So. That might be a thing that happens. Mm. I want to start doing more voiceover stuff for like mm. cartoons and things like that. You can only plan so far ahead. I of think course. you know, like unless you're like Eddie Izzard, because I <laughs> met him like in, in like twenty thirteen, and he was like, "Well, of course I'm going to run for mayor of London in 2020." Mm. You know, this is the plan for mm. Labour. I don't. Um, so I mean, I don't know whether they ditched Sadiq Khan or whatever. But anyway, and so he was like, "I've got six years to do all my." Um, movies and this and that and I was like wow I mean the idea of planning something seven years out like I mean mm. but you can do that I guess if you're ready is up because you've got you've got such a massive following, massive following mm. that you mm. know like you know and it's like Russell Howard announcing a tour two years out you know mm. and 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 doing previews for two years or whatever like I mean that must must be nice but yeah for 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 we mere mortals mm. it's normally I think about my next show mm-hmm. and then uh, I just, you know, I just try and make sure that that show's as good as possible. And then, uh, you know, whatever mm. comes after that. There's no end. I mean, you're, sorry, you're very, I mean, you've done 10 shows. That's a, that's a lot of shows. No, that's how, well, you, you, know, know, you know how you do 10 shows? One at a time. Yeah, one at a time. Yeah, but it seems like, you know, that some people go, oh, I've done 10 now. I've done enough fringes now. I don't know or, about that. Or, though, or enough I mean, festivals. Well, if you, if you feel like that, then you should stop doing it. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's no end of interesting things mm. to do shows about. Mm. I, I, I mean, because I, I don't, it's weird, like, some people have got a real strong hook in their personality, you know, mm. like, sexuality or something that's happened to them or whatever. Mm. I never feel like I've got that, like, so, you know, a lot of the time I kind of go, maybe not that much interesting stuff has happened to me, mm. but I can be interested in mm. lots of stuff, you know, and and uh, put my own spin on it. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how my shows kind of end up working. Which is great, which make, makes you work harder, forward you into areas that people don't really follow that much. Everyone wants, I need a hook. What is my hook? You know, my show is going to either create my hook mm. or um, or solidify my hook. Yeah. And when my hook's worn out, what three or four shows later, maybe that's all I've got. But you can t- continue to turn over new stuff because you mm. you're always need. To, I need. I'm, I'm interested. I need to continue. You're going to continue to be interested. Yeah, and I and I love and I love the process. You know, mm. I love the process of conceiving a show, researching the show, writing the show, performing the show, tweaking the show. You know, to me, that's I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know how anyone could be a comedian for twenty years and, mm. and you know, and and just cling mm. onto their material. You know, I understand it because it's hard to let go of your material. Mm. You know, and I, and and if you, if you had to, you know, if you had to drag yourself just to write that twenty minutes, mm. and the idea of climbing that mountain again mm. is petrifying. But to me, like mm. that's. That's like, you know, it's like one of those movies where they go, I want to live forever. And, mm. But then you lose everything that makes life worth living. Mm. To me, that's what makes comedy worth doing is the thing is like, it's that it's the constant process of creation mm. and destruction, you know, mm. and letting stuff go and recreating. And, you know, I think that you gotta, you gotta be able to let it go mm. right? because otherwise, you know, you'll just become stale and hate it and embittered in yeah, that yeah and that's the terrible thing you know like, and, and that risk of, of dying or well, then we do right I'm going to do all new tonight right this is this gig doesn't matter I'm going mm. to just go for it and let it let it happen yeah. let it fall where it falls you know I mean and, and that's fine and, and that's the that's the joy of, that's the first gig joy because yes. like, oh, this is the thing I'm nothing I'm not I'm not using any safety nets I'm yes. just going to go with my wits and the, the hopefully preloaded skills that I picked up along the way mm. and that is the joy of it isn't it and that's the thing that comes across when you're performing anyway yeah, I, I say it's which, which is wonderful. I mean, you've got so there's never going to be an end to the to the to the shows. It's just another show, another show. As these show, as you've made these shows, which is the one show that you feel that you've has has? Oh, God, <clears throat> yeah, this is this is me. This is it's this always is, the, it's always the next one. It's always the next one. Yeah, because I always feel like you get like you learn you learn more about yourself, like mm. you know, and 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 in doing that you feel like oh i could do even better the next mm, time you know mm. it's that thing you're always reaching for something that's just out of reach yeah. but it's the process of reaching that like you know 
just how do you how do you walk uh, how do you run a marathon just mm. one step at a time and you're just always going this just there it's just the next step this is the next step yeah I don't know I think I think this one I think this one will be mm. the most it's weird because it's not necessarily as I read like that I read there's this thing on Chortle yesterday about Richard Gadd was voted like the something about Scottish people and it was like uh, you know, and it was like his most personal show yet, right? And I was like, "Well, I haven't seen his show because I've got tickets. I'm going to go see it at Soho Theatre. I didn't get to see it in in Edinburgh because I clashed with it. Mm. But um, but that story that he tells in that show about being sexually abused is like very personal. Mm. And like I said to you before, like I don't feel a lot of the time like I have that sort of story to tell. Mm. But in sort of finding a way to articulate your thoughts about whatever it is that mm. you're talking about. I feel like that's very personal as well. Mm. And and sort of like the show about, about gender roles. And I think that's also a very, it's a very identifiable mm. way to be personal, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, I don't know. Like I, hopefully, hopefully I'm getting better. Like, mm. you know, you always want to think you're getting better mm. because you know, you do see comedians and, you see them like they've either lost the joy or they've lost the edge or, and, and over a period of, you know, 30, 40 years, cause people do do comedy for that long. Mm. You get the whole grandpa thing happening mm. where they're just not funny anymore to people now, you know, mm. like, and that's, that must be quite harrowing. And mm. I'm always petrified that's going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point I'll be that guy, mm-hmm. you know, that I'll be on stage and people, you know, who are 20 or 25 will be like, what's this? Mm. You know, I'll bring my dad to it and then I'll walk out, you know, like, mm-hmm. I just never want to be that person. I don't know. I, Cause I mean, you know, you watch, I mean, George Carlin was funny till he was dying. You mm. know? So funny is funny. Just got to keep the evolution going, keep writing that show and keep yeah. reaching for that next. And keep it, and keep being engaged with what's mm. happening in the world. You know, like, I mean, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I'm engaged with say music the way I was engaged with music when I was 20. Right. But I'm certainly engaged with social issues. I'm certainly engaged with politics more so. Mm. And, you know, that's really when it comes down to it, what the world is, you know, mm. I mean, politics is like people go, oh, it's boring politics, but it's not. I mean, politics is what, how we make the decisions about what world we live in. Mm. And so, you know, to be engaged with that is to be engaged with what is happening in the mm. world. And I think if you, if you, as long as you keep, you know, maybe I, maybe I can't write a joke about, um, Maybe I can't write a joke about what's on TV. I certainly can't because I don't watch that much. Like, you know, I can't, I'm not going to write a joke about Dancing with the Stars or anything like that. But I can certainly write a joke about, you know, uh, what it means to be a human being, whether that's male or female or trans or, you know, mm. in, in the world today. And that's, and that's constantly changing, you know, mm. like what it was for my mum and my dad, totally different to what mm. it is for us now. Mm. And what it's going to be for our kids will be totally different as well but that doesn't mean you can't comment on it because you can always be involved and especially more so now, like with the internet, you know, like, I mean, time was, if you wanted to know what was happening with young people, you had to hang out with young people, mm. which was difficult when you were 50. Mm. Right. But now you've got access to all the information that you need, mm. you know? And I think that's a good thing about, you know, the internet for all its pros and cons. Mm. I think it's actually probably best for older people. You know, mm. the irony is old people now, like quite old people probably don't know how to use it that much, but when we're old, you know, mm. we'll be fully engaged with it. And, you know, I think something like the internet is, 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 is at its best when you get isolated people, mm. like, you know, when people are old and there's no one around, but they can still have contact. Mm. Whereas time was, you know, old folks homes would be just a bunch of people sitting out, staring out of the window, waiting to die, mm. Mm. you know? So, you know, as long as we don't all, blow ourselves up or kill mm. the planet no. that, well basically what he's trying to say is it keeps learning fun right I mean, yeah. it keeps you engaged it keeps you connected with the, mm. you know, the, the status quo what's going on in the world mm. and the startups are oh no fine I, I have a reason to research this rather than just saying oh I'm going to sit here and watch some of the programs and that really is just one side of some you know made up sitcom or whatever it is yeah. and you're just staying connected by just absorbing all this other information and hopefully making a joke out of it which is keeps you yeah. in, in, the, in the know and synthesizing it into something yeah. per- something personal we can see you in Edinburgh of course this coming year yeah 2017 it's going to be the Unpinchable Pink Pen Unpinchable Pink Pen and where else can we see you I'm going to be in Prague Prague next weekend and then Luxembourg and Liverpool on the 
fifth and twenty sixth, I think, yeah. of November. Right. And then after that, I'm going to South Africa for a month. Nice for shows, and then in Australia till June. So okay. not around that much. I think the best option would have been Plymouth last night. Mm. It was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was great. It was great. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's, it's every every time that that gig is great. Every time I go down there, it is. It's a yeah. nice room. Yeah. Well, Yanni, yeah, just low. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, we enjoyed that. <laughs> Formal. And that was Yanni Agisolo for episode 22. I love talking to Yanni. He's done over 10 fringe shows and he's still passionate about it. Always seeking out a new bit of knowledge to mine for his next show. And he's driven. He's, he's so positive and so happy and loves comedy. You want to see him perform, you can see the joy. It's great. If you like that episode, go to the Facebook group, join it, and leave us a nice comment. You can follow us on Twitter. We're there at The Comedy Defect. You can follow me. It's at Winter Phonander. If you want to come see my live stand-up gig dates, they're on my website, which is winterphonander.com. But if you like this podcast, you want to donate something to us, just go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast. You can donate as much or as little as you want. But if you can't kick something back to us, just leave us a nice review on iTunes or Podbean because it really helps. Now next week, for episode 23, we've got Katie Pritchard. Now Katie is a powerhouse of comedy. She's a musical comedian. She's very funny. Her background is musical theatre. She can sing. She can play instruments. And she's lovely. She's very funny. Go check her out on YouTube. Go check her out on Twitter. Go check her out on Facebook. And we'll see you next time for episode 23 with Katie Pritchard.